Hey everybody, welcome to the Watson's Chapel Podcast. My name's Hunter. My name's Ellen. We're back and we're ready. Um, this week we are looking forward to having a good conversation. We want to finish out deconstructionism and move forward into a topic that I'll talk about later. We're going to probably call it First John Discussions. Here at the chapel, our pastor is currently going through the book of First John, mostly verse by verse, but really pulling some really good truths out of what it means to be a Christian, how we know we are truly Christians, and basically like everyday life, what it looks like to live in the light, as First John will talk about. And Alan and I, what we'd like to do is come behind that. He's in chapter 2 right now, and we'd like to get in chapter 1 and we're not going to say we're going to go by verse by verse. We're not going to label it as anything or say how long it's going to last. Um, but just the idea to be able to take some of those comparisons of, you know, if we say, you know, we live in the light when we walk in darkness. Someone's wrong. And we like to take those comparisons and just have discussions about them and how they're so applicable uh, in everyday life. Oh, man, if there's ever been a day and time when there was a absolute need or mandate for just practical application of God's Word, uh, we need to correct some of the distortion that society has done to the Scripture. I mean, you can you can look, and, and I, we all know people that scratch their head and say, well, how can you be saved in such and such and such, such, and have those questions? I think First John can clear a whole lot of that up. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, I, I was reading this thing about um, a person that identified that they liked their sex and the opposite sex, they're bisexual, and I believe that's what it's called. But yet they're talking about how them and God had had a conversation, and God loved them no matter what they did. Like, that, no, somebody's lying right there. That's They're walking in darkness, because that's a, a sin, just like a lot of sins that God is against. And if you continue to walk in that darkness and that sin, then you're not walking in God's light. No matter how many times you tell us that you've talked to God and how you want to justify your, yourself in a sense... Um, that's still what that's walking in darkness. Just as the the, the adulterer, the drunkard. I mean, what, here's the thing. It's like today we went and ate, and I kind of just looked around. And I'm not sitting here saying that I have some special knowledge that God's only given Hunter. That's not the case. But as I was sitting there, I was just kind of looking around, and I noticed like Sunday's the day for a lot of people. Um, it's the day to get up. It's the day to get ready. It's the day to go to church. It's the day to go to the restaurant. It's the day to have good manners. It's the day to be godly. Um, but when I think about it, you know, I could be the most godliest person on Sunday. But if my life doesn't reflect that godliness Monday through Saturday, God doesn't care, if I'm being honest. Just because if I'm not Hunter the Christian Monday through Sunday or Sunday through Monday then all I'm doing is picking one day and I'm holding it higher than the others just as the Pharisees did. And when you look at First John, um, it, it's just so plain and simple. And you have comparisons about, you know, if we say we do this but we don't, then we lie and the truth's not in us. Um, you know, today he was in do not love the world or the things of the world. And he goes through that scenario. Like, it, it's there and it's simple. And what we do is we take that passage of Scripture and say, God, you show me where I stand in this. You, you, you expose me, and the Word does. When you compare your life to the light, exposure takes place. Yep. I mean, it's like, you know, if you take a dirty window, right, and you see the sun's coming, come, the sun still comes through the window, even though it's dirty. I mean, it could come through over here, it could come through over here, but if you were to just wipe it, boom, exposure. And that's what I'm saying. First John does with our life, but the whole Bible does with our life as it exposes us. And so when we move into First John and we start having these discussions, uh, we would just ask that you guys would read it yourselves and uh, expose yourself to it, but also you know, compare your life to it. Examine yourself to see whether you be of the faith as a verse that would be applicable right here. Um, because it, it's truth. It's truth. And I thank God for truth because, uh, you know, the truth of the Word has been exposed to my heart and my life to the point where I want to alter my life. I want my life to be changed so that way it can fall in line with the text. And you know, if there's any hope for our community, uh, that hope's found in the Word of God. And we... Uh, as a as a, a church, and, and and when me and you talk, and we we discuss what what, what direction we want to move in, man, there's no better direction 
than to come into a, I think, a supporting role covering what our pastor's preaching. When we see how it's impacting us, to uh, get that out there to some of our listeners that uh, regularly tune in and they they keep up with our podcasts and all the new uh, episodes that we put out there. But if you're if you if you stumble across this podcast and this is maybe the first time you're listening to it, uh, go back and listen to some of our pastor's messages in First John, and uh, we're going to try our best to come along and just have conversations about those. And how does that look? How, I mean, in a, in a life, it's easy to hear. Uh, church talk and hear a, a preacher preach a message but how does that look on a tuesday at 10 o'clock in staff meeting <laughs> how do you, how does how, do, how does god use me uh, how, how does he how does he uh give me opportunities to okay follow my leadership and be a light in a dark world like the bible commands us to be yeah. and uh, I, I think this is going to be a good uh, few uh segments to where we can grow and again have an impact on our community have an impact on the schools and and things like that where you know we all want to see change we think we want to see things uh improve uh well this is how we do it we start literally learning and living the word of god that's how it happens yeah and so we're looking forward to that um however long that lasts you know god will lead us in that um I do want to say, you know, again, I think we did this on the last podcast. Thank you to all those who listened. I was noticing in the last five episodes, we've had nine different people um, or nine different downloads from Germany, and I'm not going to pronounce the city because I can't. Um, but, you know, it's just it, it's fun to see that there are people that are still listening to this. And we've been doing this for a minute now. I mean, it, it's been a minute. And, you know, my thing is when I get on here, and I look at, you know, what episode we're on, and I see how many downloads this one has, and how many this one has, and how many this one has, or what ranks is the best episode we've ever... I mean, it really, like, it's fun to look at, and we love to talk about the stats, but in reality, if you listen to it, you do. If you don't, you don't. Um, but I, I do want to say this. We are just tickled because... Um, we're still here and you know we look at how many different here i'll read this off real quick um we've had 25 different countries represented in our stats list and i mean you name it you know 25 different countries and 551 different cities have tuned into this podcast for whatever purpose um you know 1400 of them are from maryville which is so cool because you know that's right down the road too and uh, Madisonville has a ton, and so we just, you know, want to uh, say thank you for listening to this, and, you know, we're just going to keep trucking along, uh, the little train, who you know, choo-choo-choo, we're going to keep moving along and uh, keep talking about these conversations. I think I can. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's even like, you know, we talked about the Joe's wedding, you know, we got to talk to some people, and um, the pastor that married them, Steve McDonald, um, it was fun to... Um, talk to him because, you know, he was talking about how he's wanting to listen to the podcast and he's heard about it and him and Alan are good buddies. And We went to, we went to college together. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, yeah, Steve's a good guy, Pastor Reed Springs. And uh, so it, it's just fun to talk to people and, you know, um, share this podcast and, you know, whatever whatever happens with it is uh, it's, it's fine with us, you know. Because yeah, we, we've said all along, it's just another tool that God's blessed us with to yep. use to get the gospel out there. For sure, uh, we're not looking to go professional or move up to a bigger venue or anything like that. Uh, yeah, Hunter's already mentioned the stats are, are nice, but it's not about a big number to brag about. It's the fact that that's that many lives have been touched with an explanation of the gospel. Yeah, and it's it's a humbling thing. And yeah. so I, you know, I get texts every week from uh, family members that listen to this and just sharing some of their thoughts and. Um, other people too that keep up with it. it so it's just fun and uh, we we enjoy it, this blessing but all right today we're going to finish up deconstructionism um i know that this has been a um i think this is like part three i'm not for sure but this has been somewhat of a lengthy podcast because it's i've been reading a lot of material but when you look at the term deconstruction and you find out once you like open up the hatch that it's way more general than it is specific that's why it seems so lengthy, because there's a lot of ground that has to be covered in defining it. But, you know, we basically, it's, you know, this term describes a person who's going through a time period of questioning 
or it's somebody who's leaving the faith completely. I mean, there's just two different categories is what I'm repeatedly seeing, Alan. Um, you know, in this podcast from Desiring God, or this article from Desiring God, we're going to talk about, you. Know, I mean, why have Christians adopted deconstruction? And there's four, I guess, I think there's four things uh, that are mentioned, four primary ways, and they're applicable. I mean, they make sense. So, but when we talk about the uh, analytical side of deconstruction, uh, again, that's something we encourage. Be analytical about your faith and about the, what you. The Bible says to search out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, uh, anal, uh, to, to ask questions, to analyze, to to break down your belief system piece by piece and, and evaluate it and to make sure it's scriptural, we strongly encourage that. When it comes to the other possibility of somebody who says, you know what, eh, I'm done with this God thing, this religious thing, I'm done with it, a deconstruction of that manner, uh, that's a perfect segue into our first John. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll hit some of that when we get into our first John study. And, and when we get to the conclusion of this article, I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read some of it just because it's, it's talking about giving grace. There are people that are in a faith crisis, and First John can help. It's pretty good. So let's talk about these for just a little bit, Alan. Excuse Go ahead. Me. So the first thing that's mentioned uh, in this article by John Bloom this is a, he's a staff writer for Desiring God, is, and first off, we're thankful that he wrote this. Um, it's very thorough. It's helped us as we've went through it, and I felt as though, you know, let's read this. Let's talk about what this guy has to say. Is The first one is dismantling harmful cultural influences. Uh, and it says this, a smaller group of evangelicals use duty construction to describe ways to protect historical evangelical doctrine and healthy practices. For example, in the final episode of the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, we talked about this on the last podcast, but we're going right back through it just so we keep up with this. This is where that guy made that comment about Paul Tripp, about we should all be deconstructing our faith. We better do it because our faith becomes a culture. It's an issue. I'm summarizing that. So if you guys remember this last one, we talked about this rise and fall of Mars Hill as a church. Mark Driscoll was the pastor of it. There's tons of podcasts about it. Um, if you'll just type in rise and fall of Mars Hill, you'll find it. And they're talking about the issues and what could have been different and all these different things. But one thing this guy talks about, though, is that the faith that that church was become it was culture based. And when you study out the church and you see how it was, I mean, I'm an, it was a culture, Alan. I mean, it was an organ. It was, you know, the hipster, the jean jacket, coffee. Uh, Mark Driscoll is a pastor who supports open drinking. I mean, it was a culture that was forming. And when you keep going through that, I mean, there's, there's holes in that. Because there's really no biblical theology. It's just, hey, we're a group. We're a culture. You can see that with Bethel, with Hillsong. I mean, it's it's out there. There's other places that are practicing more of a culture than they are good sound theology, and it's influential because it promotes an idea of hey, we're cool, be like us, right? Uh, and when you talk about this, you know, dismantling harmful cultural influence, um, you know, Paul Tripp, it's clear that what he means by deconstruction. I'm reading the article is a critical dismantling not a historical orthodox Christian beliefs or rejecting the oversight of the New Testament, endorse faithful, godly spiritual leaders, but of cultural influences that distort and redefine the faith in unbiblical, harmful ways. I think that's true. Uh, I think this church here that we are at could dismantle from cultural influences, Alan. Um, I look back of all the time of watching chapel, and man, there were some good things that happened. There were a lot of lives that were touched here, uh, was there trauma? Was there downfall? Yes, there was. But what I see, Alan, now is I see a church that is trying to live above the normality and the common idea of the Southern Baptist Church. You got a loud preacher, you dress up, you eat, you go home, you might come back on Sunday or Wednesday and that's it. Um, or, you know, the culture of legalism, of we wear the suits and ties, here's your evangelist preacher, uh, be legal, Judge others, be super critical, you know, be that Pharisee. I see a church here that we're a part of, Alan, that's trying to rise above that idea of culture. 
And I love that because, you know, we have a couple that's coming to the chapel right now. And Dale, if you listen to this, uh, I'm glad you're here, brother. Um, And I hope it's, you know, I'm sharing this. But he shared with us that uh, him and his, you know, him and his wife are from Texas. And he talked about how they've been to a lot of different churches, but coming to Watson's is one of the first places they've been to where it's just been straight doctrinal preaching all the time. Um, He said it's the first place they've been to where there's Bible studies. Uh, that are actually happening during the week, and there's fellowship and community, and I'm like, thank God for that, but why is everybody else not doing that? So it's not that Watson's has some special juice that no one else does, but what we're trying to do here at Watson's is follow the biblical model as best as we can, and what I'm seeing is a church that's wanting to be more than what culture says, Um, wanting to not be influenced by what everybody else is doing or what they've been doing for the last 50 years. I see a group of people that want to pursue doctrine um, and give their life sold out to it. And, you know, Alan, you've been here for a long time, and you can probably attest that there has been, uh, in a sense, almost like if you look at a line graph, it it seemed like through history it was going downward. But then, um, you know, when Pastor Ronnie and now Pastor Jason um, the vision God has given them, but the discipleship that's been established and how God sent people here than just them, we start to see that there's an increase of what church is actually supposed to be like. Alan, you can speak on that. Well, I mean, the Scripture's plain about the, the church and the responsibility that we have uh, with new converts and babes in Christ to make disciples and to teach and to help them not to be Baptists, yeah, and I think that's the rut that uh, historically society has, has placed. Okay, church has got its spot, and when we disciple, we teach you how to function in church. Mm-hmm. We teach you all the church things to do. When in reality, our purpose is to make a disciple out of you, so that you can have an impact on the world. You can leave here on Sunday, and you've got a a difference about you that's attractive. And it's something that is, uh, it's the, the that glory of God that's not natural in the human beings, and it's 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 different. And that type of process, I think, is where historically uh, uh, the church as a whole has 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 failed. Because uh, I've said this before many many times, I think that a lot of people in the world have a bad taste in their mouth with church. Because a lot of so-called Christians aren't presenting something that's attractive. Yeah, it's it, it's something that's either judgmental or it's something that is uh, elitist, or it's something that is uh, not something anyone would want. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as, uh, as we as even this podcast, man, I think what when, when we when we prepare and we come in and we we do this, it's not to make folks impressed with our technology or our scriptural knowledge or any of that is to hopefully generate some curiosity inside the listener's head that says hey you know what there's more to it than just attending church yeah and you know when you look back at like the history here or a lot of places um you start to see that even in the midst of things that happen and all this there are those who are faithful to god um, then there are those who are just here because of influence. But, you know, when you were talking about it, Alan, I mean, even the idea of trying to train people to operate inside of a church more than operating outside of the church as true disciples, um, that creates a culture, yep. and that creates a repetitive culture. And so, you know, this first point I, I think is very accurate. Um, you know, I hear a lot about how the culture influences the church and different things. People, churches should deconstruct from cultural influence. They just need to stick to the scriptures. Um, the second one, dismantling doctrines. Uh, a large group used deconstruction to describe ways they have arrived at the conviction that certain histor- historic evangelical doctrines must be adapted or altered. For example, in his book, Deconstruction, Deconstructing Evangelism, uh, this guy writes, Deconstruction simply refers to the process of questioning one's own beliefs that were once considered unquestionable. Uh, Due to new experiences, reading widely, engaging in conversations with the other, in quotation, and interacting in a world that is now more connected and exposed to religious diversity than more than ever. Um, In the full context of this guy's book, it's clear that his his last name is Hubner. This is what John Bloom's talking about. 
uh, means by deconstruction is a critical dismantling of evangelical beliefs that experience, education, and scientific discoveries have rendered obsolete or harmful. Hubner, like many, does not reject the Christian faith altogether, but claims that evangelicals in general distort the faith. And he refuses to recognize as authorities those he considers spokesmen of American evangelical industrial complex. Uh, John Bloom says, I believe it's fair to say that this generally is the position of numerous former evangelicals who now identify as progressive, progressive Christianity. Um, progressive Christianity is a huge thing right now where people feel like Christianity needs to progress to new and better, in quotation mark, ideas. Um, so things that might be doctrine have now progressed to something else. Um, you could say it's becoming way more modern, right? It's not about the Bible anymore. It's about let's become more modern. Um, progressive Christianity is way more watered down. It's more sweet. It's not truth. It's sugar. And it's an issue. And when you see how um, people are talking about dismantling doctrines, that's true. They're trying to deconstruct doctrines into just ideas that are created. I mean, it's like the idea of the universalist. I mean, the, the idea that God's not going to punish everybody. Um, that is trying someone who's trying to dismantle the doctrines of hell and heaven. Um, dismantle the doctrines of punishment and judgment. Um, dismantling the doctrines of, you know, when God judges those at the great white throne for their unbelief. I mean, it, it, it's an approach, Alan, that is trying to take away from biblical foundation and progress to newer and better ideas when all along the only thing it's progressing towards is lies. And I think this is so accurate because people try to come up with better ways. I mean, it's like that one church in Nashville that they don't even view the Bible as the Word of God. They just view it as a God or a book of ideas that helps us be better humans. Um, and, and so at that point, it's not even a church. It, it's, a, it's a group. I mean, it's a, it's a philosophy campus. It's, it's, that's it. And they're trying to progress and become better and evolve into uh, more Christian and more this. And, you know, I, I mean, I've heard a guy um, that I, I know talk to me about how they need to write a new New Testament. Like, it needs to be better. It needs to be... It, what it is is it's lie. It's garbage. And But it's true that there are people like uh, this humor guy that they're not getting denouncing Christianity as a whole. They're just denouncing the ideas that have always been established from Scripture. Um they're uh they're getting away from this American evangelical and industrial complex, um, and, and I get it. I, I I get it to the point where there are those who are wanting to get away from the Baptist uh, denomination. I get that. Um, I could care less if I'm a Baptist because the Bible's my source of truth. Not being a Baptist, so I get trying to get away from uh, the association uh, of this or the affiliation. But you can't get away from the affiliation to the biblical doctrine. Um, and I feel bad for churches and people who don't view the whole Bible as the inspired Word of God because their church is based off opinion and morality. They are, and division. That's where, that's where uh, denomination comes from. It's, it's division. And, you know, I wondered, Heather, when you said that, how many people were offended? How many Baptists were offended by that? But here's the deal. If you'd be known as a Baptist, then you would be known as a child of God or a Christian. There's an issue with that. And, you know, here's the thing. It's like, I, I I'm thankful, and I am too. I'm thankful to be called. Uh, I am a Baptist for a reason. There's yeah. a reason I attend a Baptist church. The, bull, the but bull, I understand. I don't place my salvation, me going to heaven, based on the fact that I go to a Baptist church. Yeah, and like there are those out there that <clears throat> man they they have a conviction that the Baptist church is the only people that yeah preach I, I, agree, I agreed 100 percent sound doctrine yeah. and you know I mean I'm here at this church because of. I agree with the doctrine that the Baptist Church has always promoted. Um, these this day and age, they're trying to get a little left. You didn't offend me, by the way, Hunter. I just wanted to clear that. Good. <laughs> I, I would keep going, Alan, if I did. Um, this day and age, we have a threat of people trying to take the Baptist denomination as a whole and move it to the left side of things. Um, that's an issue, and when that issue becomes bigger. And more of a threat, you know, I, I would reckon, say that even this church here would really consider moving away from the Baptist denomination because there are people out there that are trying to change it, Alan, to make it more progressive and modern um, and, and change it like everything else to cancel of the culture and cancel the denomination and make it its own. But 
I could operate in a non-denominational church. I could operate in a Presbyterian church. I could operate in different places. And there are some places I won't operate just because I don't agree with their doctrine. But this is what I'm seeing is that some people are taking this idea of deconstruction to deconstruct doctrine. Um, and, and this is a, f- a warning I will put out. If you are trying to deconstruct biblical doctrine so that you can live a better life that you think is better in your opinion. That fits society. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're wrong. Um, we're called to live by the commandment. We're called to live by the scripture, not opinion or society. Um, this third one. This is the person that wants to dismantle Christianity, okay? A significant number, Bloom says, of those who formerly professed an evangelical faith use deconstruction to describe their departure from Christianity altogether. This is probably the most frequent way that John Bloom, he says, I see the term used on social media. Of course it's on social media. It's the use I prefer the least because it tends to conflate deconstruction with deconversion. So basically what he's saying is that these people use this idea of deconstruction, but really they're talking about deconversion. Um, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Uh, now, likely most people who refer to their deconversion from Christianity, evangelical or otherwise, as their deconstruction went through a process of critically dismantling their understanding of what it means to be a Christian that resulted in their abandoning the Christian faith. And that's what that's what why they, le- they, they label it deconstruction. Uh, but because they use deconstruction and deconversion... S- 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 uh, I'm not going to say it. When some evangelicals now hear deconstruction, they immediately assume deconversion. But deconstruction is a process. Deconversion is a result. That's pretty true. And it's only um, one possible. It's only one possible result. Others go through a deconstruction process that results in a strengthened faith. Um, first off, I'd like to say that those who dismantle and try to deconstruct and abandon the faith at all never had it. First, First John's so clear, if they were of us, they would have remained. They went out of us because they weren't of us. If they would have, they would have remained. So basically what John's saying is that there were people that were abandoning the faith in 90 AD, and it's because they were never truly of it. They never had it. Um, that's why Jesus gave the parable of the sower of the seed. One landed among the path, one landed amongst the rocks, one landed in the thorns, but only one seed landed in the good ground. Um, but the previous three were those who heard the word, heard the seed, right? And for whatever purpose, left. But here's the thing, it never took a good root. It never planted in good ground. Um, that means this, they never truly believed. They never truly had faith. Um, it was just an idea or a time period of like, oh, I want to be a better person. And they never truly were saved. But you know, when people come and they're like, man, I'm leaving the faith, or on social media they post these long things and this and this and this, uh, here's the reality. They still don't know what they're talking about. Uh, you know, I, I want to respect them as humans um, because I want them to truly been saved, but the reason they can leave it is because they've never tasted it or been of it. That's why you have a passage like Hebrews 6 where it talks about those who fell, right? They tasted of this. They were a part of this. They saw this. And when you go through Hebrews chapter 6, and I know that's confusing. Some people that might uh, say that that means people are losing salvation. Uh, I beg to differ. I believe in my conviction is that that's talking about people that were around Christians and around true believers, and they partook. They were in the service. They went to the Bible. So they went to this. But the issue is that they never had good soil in them. That's why you have the parable, or not the parable, the analogy, um, the hyperbole in Hebrews chapter 6 of the rain that fell on the earth and this and this. I mean, that's that's two different people. The, the rain that falls and produces good fruit inside of someone or growth is the person who's truly saved. The ones that dry up, right? And there's thorns and thistles and all of these things. I mean, just like in the parable of the sower of the seed, uh, they never had it in the first place. Nothing was ever produced in them. And so when you go to Hebrews 6 and it's talking about that they tasted of this, they partook of this, they were there for this, this and this and this. That that means that, yeah, they were there, but they never truly were there. They were never truly of it, and so that they left. They fell from grace. Um, they fell away from that gospel message. They left it. Um, and these people never had it, Alan. This is my thing. When you experience the grace of God for the first time, um, I'm talking about when you're saved by the grace of God, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You know what it feels like to be forgiven of your sins. And uh, Ephesians 6 says you're sealed right by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. You don't just taste that and walk away. 
You don't consume that and then just get some option to leave. You can't. Why? Because the grace of God is full. The grace of God is sweet. And the grace of God changes lives. Somebody who has the option, Alan, to walk away from it, their life was never changed. Because once your life is changed, the Bible talks about that we're new creatures in Christ. The Bible never says that you go back to that. You don't just become a new creature and then one day wake up and you're the old creature. Why? Uh, Romans 6, that man says that man's been put to death. That man was buried into his death, right? He was baptized into his death. And you don't just get the option to walk away from that. You can't undo something God has done. Because if I can undo something that if I can undo something that God has done, Alan, then in that idea, I'm suggesting that there is a divine enough being and power inside of me that I can thwart and change the will of God. You got a pretty elevated opinion of yourself. If you think that you can undo something that God has done. And here's the deal. Uh, when, when we talk about this, and I hope, uh, I, I had a conversation with a, a man that, uh, again, not from this area, not uh, not in the Baptist church, uh, has heard little uh, excerpts of the, the Baptist doctrine of once saved, always saved. And again, we believe in the eternal security of a believer. Yep. Absolutely, 100% asked me because he'd never heard it taught, never heard it explained, how can you believe that? How can you believe once you're saved, you're always safe? When these people, so-and-so and so-and-so does this and this and this and this, and they say they're going to heaven, and they say they're Christian, and they go to church, and they do this, 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 this. How can you say that person's saved? Go right back to your very good explanation, Hunter. There's no, it is impossible to have known the goodness of God and that not impact your life. Let's go back to the the original disciples. If any individuals ever had an opportunity or a reason to say, hey, you know what, dude, I'm done. We tried. They had that opportunity. Hmm. But yet you say they all continued steadfastly to their death. And that's funny you mentioned that, Alan, because I was thinking about Judas. Cause... And it wasn't, just, it wasn't like they got a gunshot in the head. Yeah. They we... were... <laughs> They were pressured to the point of torture to deny the faith and didn't. Yeah. And when you look at, like, before I talk about Judas, when you look at, like, Peter or any of... When Christ died, boy, they disappeared. Like, when he was being crucified and stuff, they it said, like, sh- sheep uh, that they spread, right? They yeah. went away. They, they, they left. And it's not that they left the faith, but... You know, it got to the they, point. It yeah. got it got to the point where these boys are like, at one point, they're like, "We're going back fishing," and what happened? He appeared there. He came to them there. Um, you know, like sheep, uh, they've scattered. I think that's what the verse says in Isaiah. I mean, Jesus is being crucified, and after he dies, them boys are they're gone. They're at the house. I mean, they're sitting over there. You know, you know, they're waiting in a sense, like they were told, but they're like, uh, "This is over." You know what I'm saying? Um, and I'm trying to sheep scattered abroad. That's what it is. And all of a sudden, the women go down to the tomb, right? Oh, he's back. Peter's like, no. No, he's not. Well, yeah, he is. Come see. And what do they do? They take off running. There he is. Um, then at one point, they try to go back fishing, right? He appears on the shore. What are y'all doing? You know, Peter realizes it's Christ. He jumps out, right? And they swim and they eat with him. And they could have. Um, and, you know, some people might be like, well, Hunter, what about Judas? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, Judas was never truly of it because it was prophesied that there would be a betrayer of Jesus. Um, and some people are about to get a little questionable, but I'm getting ready to say he was predestined for that. Go right back to Hebrews 6. All yeah. around it. Yeah. He, Covered up in it. He was there. Every day. He he was there. <laughs> and didn't get it. But here's the thing. When prophecy said that one would betray Christ, it was going to happen. It was a predestined thing that Judas would betray Christ. Um, the Bible said that Satan even entered him. Um, and even when Judas realized what he had done was wrong, he didn't repent to God. He repented of himself because he felt bad, and then he killed himself. Um, and he went down to his own place, is what the Bible says. Um, that was a predestined thing, and I firmly stand by it. If you come to me and you're like, Judas had a choice, okay, then you're saying that God's will could have been thwarted by one man. It's not possible. God is supreme. God is sovereign. Um, and so when you look at people, Alan, that are trying to dismantle Christianity, um, go ahead. People have been trying to do that for years and centuries, and it's, it's never not, it's never worked. It's not new. It's nothing new. Um, I always think about Lee Strobel, the case for Christ. He was a man that had set out in his heart and his mind 
to disprove Christianity. And I mean, he went to like, if you ever read the book or watched the movie or anything, uh, the man went to like strong steps. I mean, he went out to talk to doctors. He went to archaeologists. He went to other countries. He did all of these things. And at the end, he got saved. Now, what a testimony, right? Yep. And when you look at Lee Strobel's testimony and you look at you know his book and you read and you see all these things, this is what I see. You can try. You're, I mean, you're swinging a very big target, um, but it's not possible. It's never happened, and it's ne- no one's ever going to disprove Christianity um, because it's, it's not possible. It's of God. Um, and my warning to those who might try is what Gamaliel said to the Jews, the Pharisees. He said, be careful because you might find yourself on the opposite side. Um, you might be on the side that hates God and vengeance is his. Um, but, you know, that is a popular term, dismantle, deconstruct from Christianity. Um, as John Bloom says, it's more of a deconversion. I don't believe in a deconversion. I just believe they never had it. Um, people who are like, well, I did this and I did this and I did this, but now I've realized through science and evolution or through my own journey or some spiritual meditation or something that it's not real, they never had it. No. I mean, the Bible says the carnal mind doesn't understand the things of God, nor does it, nor does it accept it. Um, and that's what they are, carnal. This last one, constructive dismantling. Um, in 1951, Francis Schaeffer, having recently moved his family to Switzerland, launched a new mission. Suddenly, he found himself plunged into a spiritual crisis. Um, as Schaeffer contrasted the New Testament's description of Christian love for, with the suspicious, angry, separatistic culture of American Protestantism, he had been a part of, for the previous two decades, he was torn to pieces by the lack of reality. Uh, he questioned whether Christianity itself was real. For agonizing months, he dismantled his beliefs and reassembled them piece by piece. As a result, Schaefer emerged with a greater confidence in the core truth claims of Christianity and a deep, life-changing, ministry-shaping conviction that Christian truth and love are inseparable. Schaefer's experience is not uncommon and so serves as a good illustration of the sort of deconstruction that represents the experience of many who still call themselves evangelical. However, the term most people recognize for such an experience is a faith crisis. Been there. I think when we first started this, I shared my own little deconstruction or faith crisis that I went through, and I broke down things that I had always been told, and I'd questioned things I'd always been told. And now, Alan, two, three years later, uh, my faith is, like this guy, is at a stronger life-changing, ministry-shaping core, strengthened, um, than it was beforehand, and I thank God for that. Um, there, I think last week I read a bunch of scriptures that talked about, you know, questioning and um, how we handle people that have questions or doubts or skepticism. Um, we love on them. We, an- we answer them. We pray for them. We live life for them. And I'm going to tell you this, Alan. I'm so thankful that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through God uh, and through the gospel, that God allowed me to go through that process because, Alan, at that point, I only believed in everything because that's what I was told. Yeah. It's like when I was a part of a nonprofit ministry, Alan, you know, I was to the point where I was like, you know, why can't people openly drink and still profess? Why can't I go to a bar and profess? Um, why, why can't I? Why can't people smoke marijuana and still be? You know what I'm saying? It was the the influence of the culture that was on me, Alan, that I was heading towards modernism and progressive Christianity myself. But when it got to the point that I remember, I had a conversation with my dad, and he said, "Why do you believe those things? Where's your proof? Why?" I, I was like, "Okay, I'll show you." So I started getting in the Bible, and Alan, I found out I was wrong. And not only that, I, w- I literally caught fire in study because I was like, I've got to figure this all out. I've, if I'm going to find truth, it's here. If I'm going to get away from addiction and pornography and all this, it's here, right? I've, I've got to find truth. And I'm so thankful that that process took place because I look back now and that was the most liberating, freeing thing of my life is where I just took the Bible and I went into my closet and my private time with God and I totally let Him teach me through the Holy Spirit the truths and the doctrines. And dude, it it changed me, Alan. And it's fun because now I sit here and it's like back then I would just tell you a Christian and share you some good things I was doing. But now I can sit here, Alan, and tell you I'm a Christian but explain to you the doctrines that tell me why I'm a Christian and a true believer in Christ. 
Um, I know what sanctification is and how it's evident in my life. I didn't know that then. But by reconstructing my convictions and my foundations and what I viewed relationship with God to look like, um, God changed me. And I'm so thankful. And there are a lot of people like Francis Schaeffer that, you know, they're evangelical or Baptist or this or this or this. And then all of a sudden it's like they get into their 20s and boom, they're like, why is everything like this? Why is this this way? Why do I believe this way? Why can't I do this? Why should I do this? What is tithing? Why should I tithe? Why Why should I come to church? Why should I be at Bible study? Um, why should I not watch R-rated movies? Why should I study? Why, why should I have this version of the Bible? Why should I know the history of the Bible and the church? I mean, people get to that. Uh, Billy Graham, everybody's familiar. He got to that when it came to Scripture and the sufficiency of it. Um, that he questioned until God affirmed him. This is my word, you preach it. And his ministry took off. And I'm thankful that this constructive, de- de- constructive dismantling took place in my life because, Alan, I don't have to sit here because you tell me. Exactly. And when you go back to the, the, the cultural influences that society has had on the church, a big impact is the compliance side of society that says, uh, thou shalt, because I said so. And, and as uh, babes in Christ, uh, we sometimes need that, but as the sanctification process begins and we start growing and developing, we need more than that. Yeah, We need to understand why. Instead of being compliant, at some point you have to be committed. And commitment to the Word of God doesn't mean, okay, I'm compliant because the preacher's watching me, or I'm compliant because, uh, you know, I might get caught. Commitment—that's that's a compliance mindset. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'll get caught. I'm afraid I'll get in trouble. I'm afraid there's, you know, what I'm saying. But when there's commitment, when I'm committed to the concepts, that commitment drives me to. I'm not worried about the. I'm, I'm, I understand God's expectations. I want to please Him. And that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. I'm not worried about me getting in trouble. I'm not worried about the punitive side of it. Yeah. I'm worried about pleasing God. And that's that's what dominates my mindset. Yeah, and you know, when you get to that point that you can stand on both feet instead of standing on one, it's like, you know, where I work, you know, there's a lot of different beliefs and ideas in there, but it's fun because like they can go off on me and cuss me or tell me I'm wrong and all these things, and here's what I know. I'm not. Because the Bible has shown me that. God has shown me that through His Word, through His Spirit. And that's what happens. You know, when you get to the point where you want to study the Word and be developed by God and His Holy Spirit, you get to the point where your trust but your identity is in His Word. And when people say stuff and you're built upon the rock, you don't move. But if you're built upon the sand, you're going to fall apart. And And I fell apart. Here's where as Christians we need to put our big boy britches and our big girl clothes on and make sure that we understand that that's a that's a byproduct of claiming the title of christian you are being watched you are being analyzed and here's the deal uh, on my best week somebody will have ammunition truthful credible ammunition to tear away my christian integrity because i make mistakes yeah here's the deal here's the deal i don't let those define me i don't live in those and i boy i hate it when i do it that humble heart that has the, okay, mm, you're right, repent it. Not just to God, but to them. Apologize to them. Make sure you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. And then here's the the part where I now have credibility with God. i got to have credibility with my coworkers. How do I do that? I stop doing that. I try to correct that. I try to earn back their trust. And it's not an overnight process. That's We hear, again, being a church kid, you've heard, uh, statements of a testimony and how valuable your testimony is and how long it takes to develop a testimony and how quickly you can lose a testimony. That's all language that I've heard my whole life. But when you start living it and you realize that, man, life's hard. And, man, it's hard to stay on your A game all the time. And, yes, at your best, you're going to disappoint folks. And, yes, there will be occasions where folks can accuse you and Satan will accuse you. Okay, now the depth of our, our faith is tested. Am I going to deconstruct? Am I going to 
pull up stakes and say, oh, that's it, that's too hard, I tried. No, you can't. You have to continue to pursue God. You have to continue to pursue relationships with others. You try to continue to try to make a difference in other folks' lives just by having that humble, repentant heart. I'm sorry, God. Sorry, brother. Sorry, Hunter. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have done that in front of you. I yeah. Shouldn't, I shouldn't, I didn't, shouldn't do that. That's, not, that's a bad example. And those are evidences, Alan, I mean, of who you are and who Christ is in you. It's like, you know, this last week I've um, started teaching a middle school class on Wednesdays. And I briefly talked about that, you know, when we say we're Christians, there should be some evidences that come behind that. Not works to be saved, but evidences that Christ is in us because this is it. If you're saved and a holy God, a holy Lord, a Holy Spirit lives within you, it's going to produce, He is going to produce fruits and evidences in you that you are of Christ in your life and how things change. And that's it, Alan. You know, even when you go to the brother and you apologize or you confess a sin, as First John says, um, that's evidence is that you're in him because his word's truth in you. So now, Alan, here's the question. Sure. We've heard about deconstruction. We've heard about how it's general. We've heard about four different main types, the cultural, the doctrine, the whole Christianity, or the constructive dismantling, the Christian who's just having a crisis. But it's like, here's the question. How should we respond to deconstructing Christians? Like, how, how do we approach this? And I'm only going to read part of this because it's going to set us up right here, Alan. Go ahead. So it says this. This guy says, I hope to return in a future article. He wants to, he wants to come back. How do we respond? But here's his. Here's a short answer. We should respond as faithful Christians have long responded. In the typical ways evangelicals use the term deconstruction, it's not new. Since the church's earliest days, some have endured faith crisis. Some have been harmed by sinful culture influences. Some have questioned traditional doctrines and church authorities. And some have departed the faith. And to each person, whatever they're struggled, we are called to extend the grace of Christ. Boom. And he says, what do we mean, the grace of Christ? What, what, is, what is that? Um, that means in the New Testament, grace comes in many forms. Sometimes it's tender. Sometimes it's tough. We're called to give grace. Um, Alan, there's verses and stuff too, like Ephesians 4.29. Um, he talks about that. Um, he talks about Philippians 1.9 that says that, you know, that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. I mean, like... But here it is. If someone comes to me and they're trying to get away from the cultural influences of legalism, hey, hey buddy, here's the gospel. Um, I love that you're seeing this in your life. Um, and I want to walk through this with you. Um, I understand where you're at. Do you see that grace that's being given? Right. If God gave me grace and extended it towards me, I should have it towards others with their questions. I should be patient. I should be loved. I should be tough, but I also should be tender. If someone comes to me, Alan, and they're like, man, these doctrines, they've been taught for thousands of years. How do we know they're true? Hey, let's sit down and talk about it. Let's talk about God's Word and, and, and why we can trust, right? Well, Hunter, I, I just don't know about these two. Okay, all right. Well, I love you, though. Let, let's keep. Let's talk about it. Alan, if someone comes and says, Hunter, I'm just thinking about leaving it all. Hey, I'm going to encourage you not to do that. I'm going to encourage you to get in Scripture. Um, let's go to First John. Let's talk about your life. Let's talk about some things. Let's talk about what it means to be a Christian. Let's talk about security. Let's talk about the gospel. Um, and ultimately, Alan, you look at that person, you're saying, hey, I'm not going to abandon you in this. Mm-hmm. Bring your questions. Yep. Let's talk about it. Bring your doubts. Um, let's take them to God together. Um, and then the person that's in a crisis, Alan, the Bible says, um, if we were to hinder one of these children be better for a millstone be tied around her. You see him going with that? The person that's in a crisis is having a very vulnerable moment. And we have to be so gentle as a child, as we would be towards a child. But what do we do? Hey, I love you, man. I, lo- I love you, sister. Let- let's let's get together. Let's talk about this. Uh, you know, faith crisis. If somebody's in there, I might say, hey, we got a Bible study we do on Monday nights. Why don't you come to it? Let- let's just come and be a part. And- but see, there's... When we respond to these situations, Alan, there's so many different ways that we can extend grace. We can extend love and mercy, but we can also extend truth. And the one thing is an absolute mandate. You've got to be available. You've got to you've got to be available to people to get involved in their life, to to get to know them, to understand them, 
and and be able to be that vessel that the Holy Spirit uses because God will teach you, God will tell you, He will give you that those things that are absolutely appropriate. Some people, you know, some people you do have to be gentle with. Kid gloves, handle delicately. There's some people that need grabbed by the ears and, and, and shook right hard and say, hey, listen, you need to toughen up. Quit being a baby. And there's some people that, that that won't respond to that well. How do you how do you know how do you how do you know who which is which and how do you tell the difference? Man, you got to get invested in their life. Yeah, you got to spend time with them. You got to build a relationship with them. Yeah, you got to let God use you to put you in those positions. Yeah, God God will prepare you and use you in that moment. Um, but you know when we look at this term and we look at how general it is, but how specific it goes in certain areas. Um, this is something that's happening. And, you know, here's the thing, Alan. Throughout time, mankind has come up with a big word. And uh, uh, not a doctrine, but an idea. And, he, you know, and I, I just look at it, I'm like, man, if we never would have just got outside the text and got away from the text, we wouldn't have to come up with all these terms. But here's the reality. When mankind's involved, yeah, it's going to happen. That is so true. But... Thank God for a beacon of light. Yep. His word, his son, his God. always draws us so, back. Alan, do you have anything else? God bless. All right. Hey, we love y'all. That was Deconstruction. Um, come back next week. We'll see you then. Peace out.